Your Story with Melinda Estabrooks, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Listen for new episodes every Monday and subscribe to the podcast at faithstrongtoday.com. Our stories have the power to connect us, to inspire us, and give us courage. On Your Story with Melinda, your story matters. Well, who do you turn to when you don't know what to do? Should I take that new job? How can I be a better parent? Who should I marry? How can I make ends meet? You you know what I'm talking about. We all face these kinds of hard questions that keep us up at night, give us anxiety and stress, and not knowing where to turn for answers or if there's anyone at all who can help. Well, my guest today, Daniel Henderson, is going to help us unpack and, and, and drill deep into that and those questions, because he's going to share with us about practical wisdom and his practical approach to prayer, and you're going to be really encouraged. So I hope you listeners and viewers stay with us the whole show. Daniel Henderson is a pastor to pastors. He's been a pastor for almost three decades pastoring to thousands of congregations in California and Minnesota. He is the founder and president of Strategic Renewal and is also the national director of the C4 Fellowship. And like I said, he's a pastor to pastors. He coaches leaders. He speaks at conferences. And he is the author of 10 books. And the latest book here um, he'll be sharing with us is called The Prayer God Loves to Answer. And so I know we're going to learn a lot. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with me from Skype uh, from California. Yes, it's a privilege to be with you this morning. Thanks so much for the opportunity. So, Daniel, you're all about prayer and renewal and the church, which I love, just your heart for the church and for pastors. How did you get to this place? As a young boy Mm -hmm. in your own faith journey with God, you don't just all of a sudden go, that's what I want to do. I want to to dedicate my entire life uh, to the church. What is your story, the beginning, and how did you get to this place now? Oh, well, thank you so much. I, uh, I always say I was not born into a Christian home, but I was raised in one. My entire family came to Christ when I was one year old, so uh, I uh, was really raised in kind of a spiritual hothouse from that point on. Uh, I have two older brothers, one of whom is a preacher. My parents are very involved, and I learned about prayer to some degree from church, you know, opening prayer, closing prayer, prayer for a good offering, you know, whatever. Uh, When I was in high school, I sensed a real need for the Lord. I would actually clear out my closet and go in there and pray, Uh, but it was really as I finished college and seminary that I came across a passage where it said the early church leaders gave themselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And I realized I had seven years of training in the ministry of the Word. I would say homiletics, hermeneutics, harmardiology, soteriology, you know, all of those (laughs) great studies, but very little in prayer. And I asked God, Lord, would you help me to understand that other 50% of pastoral ministry? Well, I always say the only way you learn to pray is out of desperation. And so over the years, the Lord uh, put me in some very difficult assignments, you know, in summary, I pastored three churches, two of which were large churches where I came in on the heels of a moral scandal. So I was the cleanup guy. Well, that'll get you on your knees real fast, right? <laughs> sure will, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and in between that, I followed a pastor who had been there for 40 years, and that's uh, like trying to be Joshua on the heels of Moses. So uh, those were unusual assignments. But, you know, the gift in all of that was that's how God teaches us to pray. He strips away our self-sufficiency, our reliance on the formulas and the strategies 
strategies. And he gets us to the point where we realize if we don't seek his face and receive from him that which only he can give in order to do his work, uh, then there's no way we're going to honor him in our ministry. And that's really what happened, honestly, Melinda, that over the years, uh, God just took this very independent soul and poured desperation into me and got me to a place where not only was I learning to pray, but I was teaching our people to have that privilege as well. Dana, where was the switch? Because I find that in desperation, people, whether they are Christ followers or not, will will pray or communicate with God or, yeah. God, you know what I mean, or the universe, whatever they do, right? But how uh-huh. do we move to the place where it's, prayer never isn't just about desperation, but it's actually part of our language and connection with God. Because I would say, I'll be honest, I've been a Christian and missionary kid all my life. And I would say more than not, a lot of times my prayer is more, I'm desperate or I'm asking God. But it's not like an an ongoing, you know, um, an ongoing activity or thing I do intentionally every day. And and I'll be honest, that's that's a bit of a struggle or something that I, you know, have to really be thoughtful about and work through in my own life. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And uh, in reality, I think we have the wrong definition so often when it comes to prayer. I think most of us think of prayer as, you know, telling God our needs or crying out in desperation. The definition I love, and I mentioned it in the new book that we'll talk about, is that prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of His purposes. A man named Alvin Reed, a great professor, gave that definition. And so if you view prayer as primarily intimacy with God that's going to lead to the def- the uh, the fulfillment of His purposes, it changes why you pray. And I would suggest uh, that most of us pray to seek God's hand and not His face. Hmm. His hand is what He does. His face is who He is. And I often say in my teaching that if all you ever do is seek God's hand, you may miss His face. But if you seek his face, he'll be glad to open his hand. And the the game changer for me, honestly, was to realize that the only enduring motive for prayer is that God is worthy to be sought. My motive is not my desperation. It's not my need. It's not the grocery list. It's not the sense of perceived crisis. Because if that's the case, my prayer life will be like a roller coaster based upon my perception. But if it's that God is worthy to be sought, and that's the motivation of my praying, then then the motivation remains the same, whether I'm in the mood or out of the mood or I have good uh, good things going or problems galore, he is still worthy to be sought. And I describe that as worship-based prayer. And uh, even in the new book that we'll talk about, I give people a model from the Lord's Prayer as to how to do that. You always start with his face, and then you move to his hand, and that helps sustain your motivation. You know, I, I, it's, it's wonderful to hear, you know, how passionate you are about prayer because, you know, I'll be honest, we do that at church, but there's not a lot of times an emphasis on prayer and prayer ministry. And, and, and on your website, you say, especially in America, there's only 5% of churches that have effective and organized prayer, you know, ministry, which is shocking mm-hmm. for church, right? I mean, you would think yeah. that prayer would be uh, right up there, you know, number one, two on priorities or ministries. And 5% mm-hmm. is extremely low, Daniel, uh, when you say churches. And, I, and, I, and I'm assuming that not just in America, but but probably in Canada and in, in Europe and other places with churches, it's on emphasis. How come? How come we've lost that about our church, that prayer isn't isn't a focus? Or maybe prayer has become something, you're right, we say, after offering if somebody is sick, but it's not an, emphasized as, as, as a way of communication or worship, right, to God. Yeah, and, you know, those stats would be particularly true of Western society. Yeah. You know, I've been in China in recent years, in Cuba, 
And, you know, they, they know how to pray there, obviously, in Africa, because they have so little. You know, part of it is the fruit of our materialism, our prosperity. Uh, we are like the Laodicean church. We are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And so we don't realize how needy we really are uh, in terms of our need to pray. Uh, but I also think it's a leadership issue. I think that there are um, the reality of some pastors who pray so passionately and lead their church in that regard. But most pastors were not trained in prayer. And we were taught to really kind of work the formulas and just do what we can to grow our church. And the way I describe it, honestly, is that um, in Western society, we are the ultimate achievement culture. Uh, yet in New Testament context, ministry is not achieved, it's received. And until we realize that we are not going to achieve the kingdom, we must receive the kingdom on our knees. And then out of that fullness, let Christ, you know, march forth in his victory parade, as it talks about in Second Corinthians. Then we understand ministry. And so it's, it's really a fruit of a lack of training, uh, pastor leadership that doesn't make it a priority, and certainly kind of the, the prosperity of the culture we live in. Do you think, Daniel, that's fascinating. Do you think that because of that, there is then a direct connection with the plateauing and decline of church attendance in Western world? Because again, on your on your website, and I've heard these stats too, even here in Canada, you, you have um, 85% or so of all churches are declining, and I'm assuming that's an attendance. Um, mm-hmm. Again, in, in, a, in a stat on your website, the church has decreased by 9.5%, but the population is going up and with the numbers like 11.4%. Do you think there's a, a, a correlation with that? Because I'm thinking there might be. Absolutely. Yeah, that's not Jesus' plan that we would be in decline, obviously. You right. know, when there's so many people around the world who need to hear the gospel. And so clearly we're doing something wrong. And I think, again, the problem is we keep trying to uh, come up with new formulas you know, the next new thing. And, and as I often say, the next new thing must be the first old thing. I, I just mm-hmm. finished a, another book with Moody called Old Paths, New Power, which really directly um, speaks to pastors about the fact that we are relying on good things like leadership and vision, words that you hear all the time, but that are hardly even in the New Testament. Uh, and we, we think that these are the tools that are going to help us and enable us to transform the culture. And, you know, I always say the devil doesn't care what you replace the Holy Spirit with as long as you replace him with something. And, and the more socially acceptable and functional the replacement is, the more dangerous it is. And again, Jesus hasn't called us to figure it out. He's called us to follow him in the power that he wants to give us to really transform the world through the Holy Spirit as we preach the gospel in supernatural grace. Yeah, that's such a good reminder. I think every church leader and I think that's that's a, a good thing that you just said I mean there's got to be some intentionality and training I think for our leaders um, it, it yeah. does sadden me like my heart hurts hearing how the church is declining but I also believe that um, I think that the emphasis on prayer uh, needs to kind of come back and revitalize um, our churches yeah. too you know I think yeah. then that's it's such great timing that you have come up with this book called The Prayer God Loves to Answer um, mm. what, what would that be? I mean, I don't want you to give away the book uh, because I want everybody to go out and get it ASAP when uh, we finish, sure. finish the show. But the prayer God loves to answer, is that something that a non-Christian can track with in your book? Or is this really for those who are like, you know, I follow Jesus, um, this makes sense. Or can somebody really say, those are the, the answers and questions I ask all the time, Daniel. I ask, like, I've been single for so long. Am I ever going to marry? I'm in debt. 
I'm in absolute loneliness and pain, you know, is this something that somebody who doesn't really know who God is can really access in your in this book? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, to be honest with you, everyone knows how much they need wisdom, believer or or non-believer. And that's why the Bible speaks about it so prolifically, because God knows what our needs are, right? And uh, and yet, we we need a form of wisdom that's transformational, not just uh, Mm -hmm. pragmatic. And so I would just say to you, to give away the subtitle, the the subtitle is Accessing Christ's Wisdom for Your Deepest Needs. And the deepest needs of every reader, every believer, first of all, is a relationship with God that's going to be transformational, whether they recognize it or not, and certainly vital, vibrant, healthy relationships with the people in our lives. And so what makes the book unique is that there's a little twist in it. Most people think, oh, this is going to be a book about finding answers so that I can accomplish something or do something better, which is really an Old Testament understanding of wisdom. Mm -hmm. This is a New Testament understanding of wisdom that basically is the fact that wisdom is Jesus Christ. He is wisdom. Uh, He said in the New Testament, one greater than Solomon is here. Well, that's Jesus himself. And then, of course, Paul wrote that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge— are not in Solomon, although that was a you know there's certainly truth in the Old Testament and in Proverbs. They're not in the latest uh, self-help mm-hmm. book. All the treasure, wisdom, and knowledge are in Jesus Christ, and uh, so this book points people to Christ, and most importantly, how He transforms our relationships. New Testament wisdom is primarily relational, not tactical, and honestly, that's a need that everyone has to see their relationships transformed. We don't use that word, Daniel, wisdom a lot. Look, I don't hear that yeah. a lot as far as in conversation or, I mean, you know, I will say to my girlfriends, um, you know, I, I'm praying wisdom and clarity and peace and joy, you know, as I, as I write a card for them or, you know, if yeah. I'm, I'm texting them, if they're like, I need prayer. But I, I don't really think we as believers really get that about wisdom, asking for wisdom, understanding. That, that's the first time I, I really heard you say wisdom really is Jesus himself. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I never, I, I never got that. that. That's one of those aha moments. I never <laughs> thought of it. I never actually thought of it that way. I was always something yeah. that wisdom was something, you know, and it is, you know, sort of deposited in you to, to kind of give you that direction. And I always assume like the Holy Spirit then would give us wisdom, but looking to Jesus as wisdom, that's, that's powerful. That's good. Yeah, it, it is. It's really <laughs> transformational. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's the mistake Solomon made. He wanted wisdom. And yet the wisdom that he chased after helped him become great and accomplish great things. But his personal life fell apart. Right. I mean, you know, of course, his marriage, multiple marriages and all the wives that led him astray away from God, his son who rebelled. I mean, his life was a mess. And so we have to chase after the right wisdom. And the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that wisdom in the book of Proverbs that Solomon was going after. And what we do in the book, honestly, is we focus on the New Testament descriptions of wisdom, which were given by James, Jesus' own brother, who wrote the, 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 the letter of James, where he says the wisdom from above is pure and peaceable and reasonable, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial. It's without hypocrisy. See, all those are relational terms, aren't they? Those mm-hmm. aren't about necessarily how I'm going to, you know, build a better corporation or be more effective at the PTA, you know, the Parent Teacher Association. Yeah. It's about how my relationships are going to be transformed, and that's the secret 
uh, to our deepest needs, which is to love God and love others. And that's why the wisdom of Jesus is so powerful. So then that shapes and changes how we pray. Because I think for some people, they'll be listening and watching us on, on, on this, in this conversation, Daniel. And they're like, okay, well, then how do I pray then effectively? Because for some people, yeah. they're going to be like, you know, writing me saying, Melinda, I have a really shoddy prayer life. And how do mm. I even begin to start Praying with what you're talking about, uh, you know, with this power, with the understanding of God and his character, with understanding that, you know, Jesus is wisdom. How do I begin that step in, in this kind of, you know, praying or, you know, communication with God? Absolutely. That's a great question. And, of course, my answer, as you would guess, is by the book, right? Because at the end of each <laughs> nice chapter. Nice one. Good plug. <laughs> at the end of each chapter, we show them how to pray oh, out excellent. of a passage of Scripture yeah. uh, to appropriate or apply or make real in their lives this reality of wisdom. I'm a real um, proponent of the idea, Melinda, of scripture-fed prayer. Whoever starts a conversation tends to guide the conversation. And so uh, every prayer meeting I lead, my own prayer time, step one is open your Bible. Let's let God start the conversation. So as it relates to even these truths about Christ, uh, the wisdom from above is pure. Well, we show people, how do you worship Jesus in his purity? And then how do you confess your own impurity? And then how do you begin to practically ask for that purity in your life and prepare yourself to walk into a very immoral, impure, uh, wicked world in the power of Christ? And so we really want to give people the tools to learn how to do this as a matter of the pattern of their prayer life uh, going beyond the book, but in the journey of their own daily experience. That's good. Daniel, because you're so involved, um, such great passion for the church, local church for pastors, what would you yeah. say your prayers are for the church in, in the Western world? You know, what, what um, are those things? I mean, that's, that's a huge question, I know. But as I, you know, look through, you know, your website and what Strategic Renewal is and the 6-4 Fellowship and, and, and just your, your passion to, to gather leaders and pastors together, what, what would be your prayer? What's your heart saying about the church? Because, I mean, I love the local church. The local church yeah. has been really my lifesaver in, 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 in very difficult things in my life and, and, and celebrate yeah. the joys in my life. And, and, I, and I say this, as much as people slam the church, yes, the church is made up of people, so of course there's going to be problems. But for me personally, I will stand all the time and say, I love the local church. And I get emotional because I, I love it. Yeah. And so sometimes I get very yeah. guarded, but I'm also very open to say, yeah, you know, we're human and we fail. And the best thing is we, we apologize and we try again and we get up in, in God's redemptive power and, and strength. But what is that prayer? Because I want to, you know, pray along with you and, and to encourage pastors who are listening and people who are in ministry of how we can empower, revitalize, restore the church. Because I think, I think we yeah. need to, right? That's right. That's a great question. I would just suggest to you that I think the single greatest need in our nation today is Jesus Christ living through a revived church. Uh, we can't just keep going through the motions anymore. We have to experience all that Jesus had in mind when he established the church. And and so my prayer really is God's glory through a, revive, a spiritually revived church. And, of course, my heart, like here's Melinda for the church and for pastors, my heart really is for pastors because churches get there because they are led there uh, by pastors who have got that passion and vision that says, you know, we can't. 
we just can't keep imitating one another into oblivion here. Mm-hmm. We have got to get back to the reality of what Jesus had designed for his church. And it is really the sufficiency of the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. The word of God through spirit-filled preaching, the spirit of God through a praying church, a house of prayer, and the people of God being mobilized through the gifts that God has given to them to make a difference for the gospel. So that really is my prayer, that uh, that we would get back to Jesus Christ living through a revived church, not a big church, not a small church, not a, uh, you know, cutting edge church, you know, all those descriptors are fine. Uh, but the sufficiency of what Christ has in mind for us is still available to us if we will just follow the means that he's given us. Mm-hmm. You know, Daniel, I found that, well, I think what's important is that I, I need to pray more for our pastors, I, I I feel that I I haven't done that. I you know kind of look to my pastor and I say, ah, you know you're okay, you're good. How do we as as people of the church of, of congregations really effectively pray for them? I mean, you would know so much the needs of of those in in ministry and those that are leading big churches, small churches, medium sized churches. What do you think would be some of the key things that we need to actually pray for them for? Oh, uh, it's a great. Great question. And, you know, I I just go to a text that I really have learned to love, which is found at the end of Romans when Paul asked the church to pray for him. And he basically said to the in Romans 15, he said, I want you to pray with me, agonizing in prayer. Uh, first of all, for my protection, that God would protect me from the enemies of the gospel. Secondly, for God's blessing on my ministry as he was delivering a love offering to the Jews there in Jerusalem at the time. And thirdly, for my own provision, that I would come to you with joy and find refreshing rest in your company. So I use that as a guide for every pastor that I pray for. Pray for God to protect them, protect their marriage, their mind, their morality, their time, their family. Pray for him to prosper their work, to give them grace uh, in their ministry, that people would be receptive and responsive. And then thirdly, pray for their provision of joy and refreshment. And then, of course, to do whatever you can to make sure that happens, you know, to make sure you're encouraging them. Uh, you are doing everything you can to uh, make sure they are really kept and surrounded uh, by godly people who love them and can really be a great encouragement to them. So protection, prosperity, and provision, those are my three key ways I, awesome. I tend to pray for pastors. That's yeah. awesome. And, and that's such encouragement for us because sometimes we don't know how to even start in that. And so that that's really a, a great, clear way for us. You know, I found, Daniel, that especially in Canada, I have found that I haven't seen or, or, or felt that young people, young men and women are wanting to go into the ministry or that, that we've mm-hmm. seen a lack of people wanting to step in to be pastors. And because in, in some situations I've been in, you know, we've been looking all over the place for pastors and, and we, we honestly can't find them or maybe they're not qualified or they, they, they need some more schooling yet. But at the time, we, we don't have them. I guess I'm asking you what, maybe why, but also how do we encourage young people, next generation or millennials um, to, to come into ministry? I, I know that we're all about let's go out into the world and in the marketplace, you know, we'll be light. And I'm absolutely for that because a lot of my friends are mm-hmm. in media and TV and broadcasting and in, on Bay Street or, you know, in business. And so I, I love that they're there and, and you know, being a, a great example of Jesus to those people. But what, what do you think is happening, and, and how do we encourage people uh, to really seek out that that's a possibility for them to go, come into ministry and, and serve the local church? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, the interesting thing is when Paul said in 1 Timothy, if any man desires the office of a bishop or a pastor, uh, he desires a good thing. But, you know, back in Paul's day, to be in that position means you basically are the first one to get martyred. Uh, that that wasn't about the size of your office or the, the crowd that shows up on Sunday or how many books you've written. And, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of pastors who go into ministry with, with unfortunately misguided intentions about yeah. becoming somebody. I remember Henry Blackaby, you may recognize yeah. that name, told me one time he's convinced that more uh, pastors go into ministry out of insecurity than out of calling. And so I think we are in a, a radical redefinition of what it means to be a church leader. Uh, I think the day's coming because I think the church is going to be sifted here in the West uh, through a hostile culture that continues to be suspicious and antagonistic toward the church. And I think out of that sifting, there's going to be a purification of our calling. And what I love about the millennials is so many of them, they're just getting radical for Jesus. I mean, they're moving to the other side of the world and risking their lives. And I think there's actually going to be a resurgence of that kind of calling, that to be a pastor isn't about uh, necessarily a big building or being a best-selling author. It's about a willingness to die for the gospel. And when that becomes the new definition of leadership, we are on the cusp of revival then, because that becomes a permeating passion for Jesus uh, to, to lay down our life, to chase after the work of the cross. And so I think as that occurs, I think the Holy Spirit is going to begin to call more and more young people who have a really a New Testament definition of what it means to be a leader in the church. You know, that I think will attract them. I, I really do. That's yeah. actually, uh, maybe that's sort of what we, we put out there and promote that yeah. you can, you could die on your first job. <laughs> yeah, that's there. right. But I really do. You know what? I think that's actually a, a, a fantastic thought because I think we've made coming into ministry or into church, you have the office and, and you do your thing, the daily grind of things. And right. and I think that I like that. I am encouraged by millennials. I do see that. I have been saddened by, in some ways, the lack of people wanting to get into ministry. But I think you're right. I think the motivation has to be right. And I think that yeah. the, the sense of I'm going to go in and I could lose my life, you know, for the cause of Christ, uh, that would be the kind of person that you'd want you'd want to follow and be led by, right? Yeah, versus exactly. somebody who goes, and I just want the same kind of commitment. Exactly. Yeah. Versus somebody who wants to do it for fame or because they're insecure and they want people just to be like, you're great and to affirm them so they feel great. So that's a yeah, that's a yeah. really great thought. Final thought, Daniel, your book here, The Prayer God Loves to Answer. As people uh, buy it, read along with it, do the prayers, what is your hope that at the end of it, as they close it, that they will come away with? And, and what's your hope for, for this revitalization of them with their relationship with Christ? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I think the, the thing that has perhaps hurt the work of the gospel more than anything else in recent decades has been the breakdown of authentic Christian relationships. Churches that split, families that, that go through trauma, divorce, whatever the case is, you know, they, they, they tend to show some of the same hostility and dysfunction that the world does because we have not really experienced transformation. There's an old book by Francis Schaeffer mm. that was called The Mark of the Christian, and he said that whenever, well, he says in John 13, that he says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And he said, if we don't do that, Jesus gives them the authority to judge that we're not Christians. 
And so at the core of it is authentic relationships. And so I'm really trusting God to use this book to restore to, first of all, all of us, a, a passion for Jesus and his sufficiency and character. Secondly, the, the application of that to our marriages, our families, our children, our relationships at church, our, our colleagues at work, uh, to the point that our witness in this world, again, becomes truly powerful and authentic mm-hmm. because we have learned to pray and receive the fullness of the life of Jesus in our relationships based on his definition of wisdom that he offers to us on a daily basis. Beautiful. Well, Daniel Henderson, author of The Prayer God Loves to Answer. You need to go out and buy that, get it, and learn to pray. And I've learned a lot from you, Daniel. And thank you for your thoughts. I'm now really going to commit to praying for you and your work. I think that as as I meet people, you know, over uh, my show, it's like God just says, you know, pray for them in their ministry. So I absolutely will. And thank you for the good work that you do with pastors. God bless you and all that you do. And you as well. And you you as well. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Your Story with Melinda, an exclusive presentation of faithstrongtoday.com. Listen to past episodes by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes and join the conversation with Faith Strong Today on Facebook.